0: On this episode of the This is Believe Land podcast, I would like to welcome back Mike Hattery. Thanks for having me on. Well, I thought it'd be a good time to bring you back. Uh, Cleveland has an off day today, so it gives us a little bit more uh, wiggle room, creativity, stuff in that, that realm that we can discuss. But uh, I had you on a couple months ago, and one particular aspect of of things we discussed was the the outfield and we were concerned with the outfield to say the least to say the least uh i i, I could definitely say any expectations for what they were going to produce uh they're on the low end <laughs> yeah
1: no even even a really skeptical eye and this is you know i think the most Disappointing part to me has been Jordan Luplow. And look, it's probably a lot of it is a sample size thing. And I and I know people hate him, but like the guy has a pretty good track record of hitting left-handed pitching. But he's faced a lot of right-handed pitching, and he's he's just struggled. He's looked better recently, but like I kind of thought the locks were like, Ah, oh, Luplow hits lefties well. Naquin <laughs> hits righties well. Mercado probably regresses. But it's been it's just been awful. I mean, Mercado was horrendous, um, and Zimmer looked a lot like the same Bradley Zimmer to me that he was <laughs> the last five years. I'm not I'm not seeing it, so
0: they've got a real problem. They, they do have a real problem. Uh, I <clears throat> I did write something today that uh, Tyler Naquin's on a little bit of a, a hot streak, which is helping. He, he a little bit of a hot streak, completely unsustainable, but he's at least making that outfield group have some sort of production compared to zero. Uh, when you're getting regular outfield looks from the likes of Greg Allen and Delano DeShields.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually pretty impeccable, because any other time we'd be talking about the fact that, like, the catcher position has put up essentially zero offense, and they've been like, we're like, no, what if we have four positions that put up, like, zero offense? So it's, <laughs> it's tough, and, I, you know... You can see also just how much you know both Lindor and, and Ramirez are seeing. You know, less so Ramirez because he's already sort of had the adjustment, but both are seeing major spikes and breaking balls. And so then it's like either Santana or Framil punishes, or you're going back to the top of the order. Yeah, uh,
0: you're getting two innings of nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is there one particular outfield you want to see more of?
1: Yeah, I just like to see them be a lot more creative. So, one of my basic principles is, I you know, pull is pull frequency is elevated, um, but you're you're pitching, you're you're playing defense between behind a rotation that has like the second best strikeout rate in baseball. Um, your bullpen, James checks striking out fifty percent plus, Maton striking out a ton of dudes. There just aren't a lot of balls in play in general. And then when there are, you have guys like Savali and Bieber running above average ground ball rates. So like the amount of balls in play they help feel is pretty limited, which to me suggests that like you need to get inventive about using those spots and you can punt defense a little bit because they're not gonna have a ton of opportunities. So with that in mind, I'd like to see, hey, like let's put Fran Mill and Domingo in the corners. And then let's put Naquin and Leplo in center center or let's put, you know, Daniel Johnson as a rotating piece with those. Or hell, you know, let's get Nolan Jones involved. So put Nolan Jones at D H or third base to rest Ramirez some and then just Domingo and Reyes and then platoon options as necessary in center. But let's really lever down on offense since outfield defense is for the most part for the team actually pretty irrelevant.
0: Yeah, I'm someone who was is- I don't want to say I've championed outfield defense or been someone that's been you know banging the drum for outfield defense, but I, I do. I do realize the importance of having a competent outfield uh, defensively, but even I've gotten to the point where I said the hell with it. Give me just somebody that can hit. Yeah, I. I don't know. It's it, the the gaps between like the high
1: quality guys and. I don't know the the Shields and Allen like the center field options are just like do you want to give up like 40 percent of league average production so you can have significantly better defense in the outfield with like limited amounts of opportunities I I don't think I do at this point and maybe it changes you know and and maybe it's just a pitcher pitcher construct like Savali gives up a little more contact um you know like Plezak you know will give up a little more. We'll see how much contact or what side of, type of contact McKenzie gives up. I think he gets a decent amount of ground balls. But, you know, maybe you do some more pitcher-dependent lineups. But either way, you can't carry DeShields and Allen at the same time. And you have to try different aggressive options in the outfield. And they're just not really trying anything. They're just rotating the same carcasses around.
0: Yeah, and, and the the, the DeShields-Allen dynamic is something we discussed last time. Because I felt that they brought the Delano Shields in. That basically made Greg Allen expendable. Uh, apparently I was wrong because not only is he still here, he's playing with the shields at the same time. And it's kind of frustrating because it's basically the same player, just one's a switch hitter. Uh, the shield's a little bit better with the bat, but that's not saying much.
1: Yeah, no, they're basically like, hey, we're going to face Jose Barrios, the best pitcher on the, well, maybe Kenamita, but you know, the best pitcher on the Twins, and we're going to send out two guys who are like base running threats essentially like they should be bench base running and defense subs and i and i think too that's you know another part of i think the shields and allen are just poorly situated because i think they have really good roles like you pointed to about you know outfield defense it does matter to some extent i think it's diminished but like what you do is you take an aggressive positioning with the outfield in terms of run scoring and then like in the seventh and eighth or the 6th and the 7th, you say, okay, the Shields is going to go play defense and center, and we're going to go yank the offensive option, and that's what we're going to do. So they have good roles that they can succeed in, but they're not in roles that they can succeed in right now. And that's why it stinks.
0: Yeah, it's it's very frustrating to watch. Is there, a, is there an outfielder besides Delano De Shields or Greg Allen that you you want to see less of? I mean, I, I know you just mentioned you wanted to see more of him, but someone who I want to see less of is Domingo Santana. And
1: look, yeah, like, no, like, I'm not saying they're good. Like they're bad defenders. Like my entire (laughs) argument for like, look, Framiel and Domingo aren't good defenders, but my argument is they're going to see a few enough balls in most games that it's not really going to (laughs) matter, especially few enough balls that are going to be like in between what a competent outfielder and a subcompetent outfielder. Like that's one every maybe two or three games. But so yeah, like defensively, Domingo probably shouldn't even bother wearing a glove. But, you know, I, I I still would like to see him out there if it means I can just stack more and more quality at-bats. And part of that is, like, look, maybe Nolan Jones right away, dude's a tremendous athlete and a hard worker. I don't think if you put him in left field, he would make a fool of himself. And I know people think third baseman in the future, yada, yada, yada. There's real questions about his defense. But if that's the solution, but... I want to find ways to get Jones, Santana, Reyes into as many games as possible offensively. And so I'll try and make the defense work off of that. But Mike Freeman should never play outfield again to answer your question. Uh,
0: I'm sure you get fairly uh, entertained every single time Mike Freeman does something and I post that one ridiculous picture of him every single time.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, that dude... Oh, this is like... Sandy, I was hoping, would be a little different than Tito with these, like, washed-up, slow, unathletic utility players. They're like, oh, no, we can play him anywhere. He can't hit, but we can play him anywhere. Got to get his bat in the lineup.
0: Uh, I only I only do the Mike Freeman thing as a troll move just because mm-hmm. so many people don't like Mike Freeman. Yeah, but just, there, there are times oh. where he'll come through with the hit or... I'm just like, ooh, perfect time to tweet the picture of Mike Freeman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, some people, like, complain about Mike Freeman. I'm like, uh, who else isn't? Who else would you like to see that's not hitting? Uh, you know, because yeah. it's – should Mike Freeman play as frequently as he is right now or ha- as has this season? Absolutely not. But at the same time, no one's taken a job and ran away with it that keeps him out of the lineup.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's – it's just – what it's once again to me, like, one of those things where, like, look, twenty-eight man roster. I can understand how Mike Freeman will be on it. He's just not. He's often not put in a position to succeed. You know, like, mm-hmm. and that, and that's my biggest beef. And it's not his fault. It's like it's why Avilas and Martinez were so untakeable at a certain point. It's like Avilas was playing center field when we wouldn't play like other guys who were decent out. Like we wouldn't play Lonnie Chisenhall in center field, and we'd play Mike Avilas in center field. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, like you got to put guys in positions to succeed. And, like, oftentimes I feel like Freeman isn't in them because he's a limited skill set, and he, he's they're not being used right. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, looking at Domingo Santana over his last eight games, not great. Three hits and 26 at-bats, 115, 233, 192 yeah. slash.
1: I'm still – I'll double down and triple down. <clears throat> I've, we've seen offensive upside with him – we just haven't He's, seen it with some of these other dudes. You know, you, you have to gamble on that at some
0: point. He has upside. We've seen it before. My concern is, will we see it at all this year? There's been a couple spurts. Uh, there was a moment earlier this season where outside of a three-hit game in Kansas City, so through the first eight games of the season, outside of that three-hit performance, he was 0 for the season. So it, yeah. it's, it comes and goes, and it's just – it's. It's frustrating, pretty much. But that sums up the Cleveland outfield pretty pretty well. It's just frustrating. Yeah, it's a mire. It's a muck. Do, do you think there's anyone at the alternate site where you could like pluck them up and realistically be like, this guy's going to give them an upgrade offensively?
1: Yeah, I, I think some folks have mentioned it. I'm fairly shocked Jake Bowers hasn't gotten an opportunity. He's like, he's not, he's another guy who like, look, he's not a good defender. He's fairly athletic, not a good defender, Mm -hmm. but like his floor offensively seems so much higher than like a lot of what we're seeing offensively from the team. Like, what was he? He was like a 92 WRC plus last year. I think maybe it was a little low, maybe it was in the eighties, but like, we're seeing so much worse that like, yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a chance. And I, I am like, I'm just one of those people where I'd really like to see them be way more aggressive with, with Jones um partially you know i just think that's we've seen almost every other team in baseball do that we're seeing the tigers do that calling up guys who like it will affect their earnings potential and and yeah they played the super two games that they needed to but they are logging games the big league level with these guys and they're just a developing team Mm -hmm. and i i do think there's a, a real thing where you know jones is a third baseman but slap a glove on him or dh him a decent amount but just try and force some depth in here offensively yeah. So those would be the two. I I can't even remember who else from an outfield. I mean, I know Zimmer's down there. And I like Daniel Johnson. Give Daniel Johnson or Bowers a shot uh, over Allen, you know, or DeShields tomorrow. That seems like a really obvious move. <laughs> but other than that, like other, you know, I I don't love what's in there. What's down there either. It, it's not like a wealth of
0: riches just sitting down there, you know. They don't have some highly regarded outfield prospect just sitting there. Waiting, waiting for the call. It's not like it's not like they're Atlanta, where they have two good outfielders just sitting there waiting for their chance. Um, but uh, looked up Jake Bowers, WRC Plus, 78 last year, uh, okay. 96 with the Rays the year before.
1: And that's when he was like 22. Like, usually when guys hit at that level when they're 21, 22, that's like a pretty good sign that they'll be competent. He mm-hmm. obviously struggled a lot last year. I, I still have some hope in him, but, I mean, you got to you got to just have him or give him or I'd like to see Daniel Johnson get a chance before him, I guess, because he's more athletic. He could play center and you would be bumping Allen for him. And I, I just feel like there's a 95% certainty. He's better offensively than Allen.
0: I feel very confident in that. Uh, I'm someone uh, that still has, you know, shares of Jake Bowers. Uh, You know, hopefully he, you know, turns into something. Uh, You know, he was, you know, high draft pick, uh, a lot of times, guys are high draft picks for a reason. Uh, they did something, and he was traded. And Cleveland saw enough of him to say, "Yes, we want this guy." And they don't whiff on trades all that much. But the fact that their offense is this bad and they haven't even—he hasn't even been mentioned—is kind of concerning to me.
1: Yeah, it is. It is super wonky, and you know, it, I really agree. He's someone who. Look, I I didn't love trading Yandi. I had a ton of Yandi shares, but when I looked at his profile and his background like there were a lot of things that made sense. Like he's pretty disciplined. He doesn't strike out a ton. He strikes out a little too much, but not a ton. But he really just didn't make hard contact much at all last year, and that's, you know, he, there's a point to which he seems a little too passive but still they're like building blocks to a decent player there and it's shocking to me that we've we've just watched this circus without Jake Bowers sniffing any PAs
0: yeah we're, I mean we're seeing you know Mike Freeman in the five hole before we're seeing Jake Bowers even on the roster
1: that's a fireable offense by the way Mike Freeman in the five hole <laughs> five hole Freeman um... I'd, get him, I'd get him out of there good God
0: Uh so there there are ways to potentially upgrade the roster and it includes players that are not currently in organization. We're talking trades, the trade deadline is on Monday. Who do you think is most likely to get traded from the Cleveland roster right now? I think
1: it's Clevenger by six miles. I you know and I wrote about this and I've talked about it, I think you've discussed it. It was well, you know, it's just they just when these guys get to arb 2 and arb 3 start making 10 to 15 to 20 million dollars and they're really productive pitchers so they're valuable to other teams they mm-hmm. get moved by cleveland really fast it's mm-hmm. one of their best assets for controlling payroll is to like get these guys turn them over and Clevenger was that guy and even before all, the entire row he was that guy so i thought he would go in the offseason i think he might go now i don't think they deal please Zach. He's cost-controlled starting pitching. Who has like less than a year of service time. So to me, it's really clev, and pretty much no one else. Yeah. Um, at the big league level,
0: it's pretty much it's pretty much Clevenger or possibly Plesak. Uh I did. I've been listening to various podcasts. I heard someone mention Pleissack and not Clevenger get traded somehow, and I don't remember where it was. And so I apologize for that, but I thought that was very interesting.
1: It is fascinating. I do wonder. I do wonder if there's something with Plezac that we're not seeing because it seems like I know he posted the really foolish, you know, Instagram video and and apology among other things. But there is a part of this that seems like he's seems seems more outcast than Clevenger, uh, who certainly behaved, you know, from a public perspective in ways that seem more atrocious to a locker room. So I'm really curious whether there's something else going on with Pleszak that we don't know about or don't see um, that happened in that locker room discussion or something. But I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by how he's situated currently.
0: Yeah, I, I it's it's an interesting dynamic there uh, because let's be honest, if Zach Pleszak never makes that video, nobody's mad at Zach Pleszak. It's all focused yep. on Clevenger. For what he did, for, you know, for everything he did, then just sit sit there and he flying back with the team. Everyone's still mad at Clevenger and Zach Plesak looks like the, you know, the young guy led astray by a vet. But he makes that video, which was very bizarre, and I just,
1: yeah, it's, now your, your guess is as
0: good as mine on this.
1: Yeah. On, I am. on what's going on. It's, it's really strange. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, uh a tweet I saw from about an hour ago from uh Jeff Shudell saying uh looking back on the Indians game last night, I did not see teammates congratulating Mike Clevenger for pitching well. Seems that there are still hard feelings. Uh that was his tweet in its entirety. Um but I th- I didn't really think about it at the time, but he was right.
1: I don't Yeah, and I don't I didn't really and you know, you never know like I don't know. I I have no idea what it would look like. And and I didn't hear a lot of comments about Clev post-game. There may be. I didn't hear anybody praising Clev that wildly post-game, but,
0: you know. It seemed to be kind of cookie-cutter, cut-and-paste sort of generic responses or statements about it. But he's someone who's just... I don't know. I guess how well everything is in, in, in that clubhouse. He obviously made some people mad. and um, I've been saying they should have traded him and never let him pitch in last night's game. He pitched fine. Uh, my concern was injury. And he's someone who does not have the best bill of health in his career.
1: Yeah, and he's, he's getting up there. It took him so, so long to figure it out and click... You know, mm-hmm. the guy who didn't really figure it out at the big league level till he's late 26, early 27. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, everybody, it's just what we watched with Kluber, where, you know, pitchers with. They can really wear down in their early 30s. Yeah. And Clevenger has high. You know, Clevenger doesn't have the smoothest mechanics. He has a pretty demanding delivery, he has a significant injury history. I'd. You know, and he's still really, really good. So it's not like he's like teams aren't going to pay a lot for him. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But you know, there's a lot of risk that some teams can take on him, and Cleveland probably can't. They can't risk paying him twelve million dollars and him pitching seventy-five innings next year. That's just something that would be really punishing
0: for them. Yeah. So, which teams do you think are going to be interested in Clevenger if? They are holding discussions which it. It sounds like they are holding discussions about him. And it sounds like the feeling from a lot of people is that he will be moved. Who do you think are probably the teams most likely to try and uh, acquire him?
1: <laughs> so there's like, there's a couple interesting things to me about this. So I think there are two types of team. And I think we're narrowing it too quickly. Because I think everybody, off the bat, we want to say, oh, contenders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, right, we want to narrow the list to, hey, who's contending right now? But really, if you buy him right now just because you're contending, you know, you get him for the next two years, obviously, as everyone else does, but you're buying him for, like, three starts this year.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you're not really, like, buying him that much for this year. You're mostly just paying the cost for the two years of control. So with that, you, I think you can widen the scope to what are teams that are, like, built to win now that got off to weird starts And, like, having two years of Clevenger really fits their timeline. Mm -hmm. So first you have the contenders. Like, you know, we have the Yankees, Braves. I think those are the most discussed because I think they make the most sense. Mm -hmm. They need pitching. They're decent matches. To me, and and I think the Padres are a third pretty interesting match. But the fourth to me is the the Angels are really fascinating to me, right? Mm -hmm. They've always struggled building a rotation. They're obviously not contending this year. Mm -hmm. They have Trout, Rendon. They want to contend next year. That seems like a team that should be in the mix. Um, are there any teams that you have that I didn't list that you think you know probably a good fit?
0: Um, I don't think there's any I didn't I didn't list. I mean, him going to the Yankees would be absolutely hilarious, uh, only because of their dress and appearance code. Um, <clears throat> so I think that would be fairly entertaining to see that transformation happening. Um, Angels make a ton of sense though. You made a good point about that. It's not just necessarily about this year. I mean, similar to like what the the Reds did when they got Trevor Bauer, they knew they were bad last year. They were hoping to be better this year. I mean, they're they're not, but a, a sort of uh, a similar, I guess, trade acquisition. Um, Toronto could be interesting. I think Toronto could be a team that would be um, interested in looking to upgrade their pitching staff. I know they got Taiwan Walker, but uh, Clevenger's better than Taiwan Walker <laughs> by a, by a large distance. Uh, but Angels are definitely uh, an interesting team to watch because, let's be honest, Shohei Otani is probably not going to pitch again.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point.
0: And and so, their pitching staff wasn't great to begin with. It was, uh, sort of based on, you know, Shohei Sunday, where he was going to start every Sunday, and they just lost a a pitcher they were going to have once a week, and... Well, it improves their everyday batting order. It doesn't help their pitching rotation, which was shaky to begin with. <laughs> but um, I know everyone likes throwing out the Yankees, uh, and that seems to be the popular one because it's, it's the Yankees. Let's be honest. Does the the popular trade proposal everyone keeps throwing out of Clint Fraser and Miguel Andujar do anything for you? No.
1: Uh, I like Frazier, and I, I've somehow gotten painted as, like, a Frazier hater, and I always actually preferred Frazier to Zimmer as a prospect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, you know, he's uh and once again, I'm not a huge outfield defense guy, but he's significantly below average. Just say it, Liability. He's not healthy <laughs> that much. Like this guy, it it hasn't just been like oh he hasn't gotten an opportunity in New York because of like the defense or like some weird like personality thing. It's like no like the guy hasn't been on the field a ton the last 3 years. He's mm-hmm. struggled with injuries every year. Mm-hmm. I believe in the bat. I think it's good. I think he's an above average hitter, but like I'm not looking to trade for a 26-year-old that I know is at least only a slightly above average hitter or who is a massive injury risk. And who is bad defensively. It's just, you know, I don't want that to be the headliner. And, I'm, you know, I have similar concerns. Andahar is atrocious (laughs) defensively. He has major injury issues. And he has even less of a track record to demonstrate that he'd actually be a sustainably good bat at the big league level. Like, there's just no... In fact, his minor league track record isn't great. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of it. So, like, to me, I have no interest. You know, if you want to do debbie garcia and uh Frazier and a third you know maybe an impact reliever piece maybe like a dominguez i know they wouldn't want to move him or someone else like that's a good yankees deal to me but other than that i just i don't see it
0: yeah it's just i mean fraser and Andujar. what you would essentially be acquiring in that deal are two two, two dhs <laughs> is what you're acquiring because uh, neither are great defensively um uh, where would Andujar play? First base? No, <laughs> DH. That's where he'd be. He'd be DH. It's,
1: it's the you have Framil Reyes too. Like you know, where where are you going to fit all these guys? And and maybe Reyes plays first or left for a while, and maybe Fraser plays right for a while. But it it would be a clog. The,
0: the the outfield combination of Domingo Santana, Framil Reyes, and. Clint Fraser would be absolutely hilarious to watch any ball in the gap because it would be atrocious.
1: Oh yeah, you just have him playing back towards the fence. I feel like just put him no, at like no doubles defense and center, all the time. <laughs> three twenty and left, three twenty and right.
0: They would just be in no doubles <laughs> defense all the
1: time. Nothing over your head.
0: Oh, that would be so bad. Uh, but the way I view Clint Fraser is someone who would be a. Uh, like the third piece in a deal, not the first or second. I view, I view him as somewhere he'd be. I don't want to say throwing, because that's not the the right term. But he's like the sweetener part of the deal. He's not even the headliner or the secondary piece.
1: And, and to me, like I think if the Yankees could have gotten a front end starter like Clevenger with Frazier as the front end piece, he wouldn't be a Yankee right now. Yeah, it's kind of my view of the situation. So, I mean, I'm there are worse deals but uh i'm i I don't like that pairing at all
0: uh, what about the braves and what they can offer
1: yeah they're the they're the hottest ones i mean to me it's tough right so i have I have some real principles of like. Baseball prospect investing, mm-hmm. which make me really reticent about Drew Waters. I really just guys who run massive strikeout rates and are really athletic is a description of Bradley Zimmer when he was in the minor <laughs> leagues. Um, so that always stresses me out. And that's a lot of Waters. I think Drew Waters has some mm-hmm. skills that maybe Zimmer doesn't, but that's that's eerily similar. So you know Waters could be a good headliner. Pash would be exceptional and is probably unattainable, but Pash is like the dream. Like I would throw in a tiny piece to get it done, just Clevenger for Pash. I think he's like, start it now, center fielder. I believe in his offense developing in the future. I just, he'd be perfect.
0: Let me throw this out at you. If, I have no idea if it's even possible or reasonable, but if you were to, and this is something I floated out on Twitter the other day and it did not get the positive reaction I was hoping for, uh, Clevager and Plesak to Atlanta. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out... It's interesting, too, because... They are desperate for pitching, and they are ready to win now.
1: And theoretically, it's interesting, because, like, they have a lot of project arms who are, like, interesting, right? So you mm-hmm. would do... You would pass centerpiece, and then you would be looking for something more back. And so you'd be looking... And so they have, like, like Bryce Wilson... Mm-hmm. Um... You know, they have five of those guys who are sort of top-end pitching prospects who just, like, haven't made the leap. Um, and they've sort of struggled at the big league level. Even down to, like, Tukey, Toussaint. Um, uh, and
0: I watched him the other night. It was brutal.
1: So so they're an interesting fit if you were like, hey, like, we want the patch centerpiece. Please, that gets us that. And then it gets us, like, another developmental piece that we're interested in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd start getting a little nervous about how thin my pitching got. Like, that's... That's bold. Like, that's a challenge trade. Like, you're at risk of, like, oh, Savali gets hurt. I'm seeing a lot of Plutko innings and a lot of, <laughs> like, Sam Henkes. And I like Sam Henkes as a one-inning guy, potentially, but it's a lot of Plutko and Logan Allen, I think. And yeah. that, that gets scary pretty fast.
0: It does get scary, but, uh, I mean, the the one thing I've been saying over and over again is does reincorporating Clevenger and Plesek into this rotation fix their offense? And it, it doesn't. Yeah. And, and so it's something that I would definitely entertain. If you could somehow trade them to get, you know, Pash, uh, I don't want to call uh, Tookie Toussaint a, a, a reclamation project because I feel it's too early in his career, but he needs some fixing from a organization that's good at putting pitching together. I, I think you might be able to straighten things out if you were to come to Cleveland and maybe just some other low level piece or something I don't know or <clears throat> I feel that there's a, a way to do it I mean i I know Atlanta's infield depth is okay maybe send them one of their send one of the other just infielders we are not playing at this moment in time uh, and to get maybe get a slightly better piece than some low level nothing prospect.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's something interesting there. I'm trying to figure out I definitely it's it's a challenge trade and it's it's high risk. But if, if I get pash and something else, I'll do anything to get pash. I think you know, I think you're starting to look at, you know, what are my next like five years core like, three to five years core and you know, like whether you like you know, it's Jose, mm-hmm. it's it's meal mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're looking for other building blocks. Hopefully it's Nolan Jones. And then, you know, you've got a lot of interesting guys in the minors, but Tyler Freeman, he's probably a year or so away. You've got a lot of high-end talent, but it's still really at that low A, high A level where this year is pretty costly for them, right, from a developmental standpoint. So, you know, what sort of, like, potential long-term position player, impact position player can you add? And if I can get Pash, I'd do it in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, I mean... Could- from what it seems like he's probably off the table in all trade discussions. I was just curious if uh getting rid of two people who are not popular in the clubhouse to get somebody like Pash would interest you.
1: Yeah, it would it would interest me depending on what the like the secondary mm-hmm. piece is, but but yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think Pash is off the table, which is just kind of heartbreaking. It, um but it's reality. Reality is often heartbreaking.
0: <laughs> it is. Um Let's let's talk with some non-heartbreaking news. Uh, Tristan McKenzie looked really good in his debut against the Tigers.
1: He did. He did. I mean, you know, he's he's so fun. And the perceived velocity thing is so fun with guys who extend like him. 6'5", he's hiding mm-hmm. the ball. He's launching it at a high position. I mean, it's great. Uh, you know, the next start will be super fun. I can't wait to watch him on Friday night. I think it's going to be really exciting. Because I can't wait to see, you know, what you know different things he does i thought he actually used his secondaries a pretty good amount and commanded them pretty well Mm -hmm. obviously it was a bad lineup he faced the first time the other lineup has some more tape on him and we're also going to see you know how much of his velocity being 96 a lot and 97 a little bit was you know the adrenaline of the first big league start and how much of it was he's locked in at that level now you know i think we often tend to see guys throwing you know, plus a tick or two in their first major league start, especially in the early innings. Now he held it well, mm-hmm. um, but in the past, he's had trouble holding velocity. I, I'm just worried about that frame uh, holding up. But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's super fun
0: yeah.
1: and go for
0: it. i say he's like a twig. Um, he's, he's very skinny. Uh, he has like the build of Chris Sale, which is basically a skeleton.
1: He somehow, to me, even looks thinner than Chris Sale. And it might just be the pants they gave him. I think they could fit the pants a little better, because he,
0: like, my goodness. He looked like he was all bone. Hey, he was completely bones He was very skinny. And I was when I was watching that start, I'm watching him pitch, and I was trying to figure out, his delivery reminds me of somebody, and I couldn't get my finger on it. Was there somebody, like, his pitching motion or his delivery reminded you of?
1: I don't think specifically. It's I looked... I don't know. That's a good question. It's very smooth. It looks a lot smoother than it was at times when I saw him and spoke to him in AA. I know they were working on a ton of stuff at that point. Um, but yeah, no, he he looks like as skinny or skinnier than he was when I saw him in AA a year and a half ago, two years ago now. So it's – but it, it'll be – I don't know. There is something about where he holds the ball when he's striding that I think is – Similar to someone else, but I I can't pinpoint it. Like, the,
0: at the point where he's bringing the ball up when he's striding, like you said, I was getting like Ubaldo Jimenez vibes, just the way he had his arm angled, is what I was what I saw. But like uh, when, when he delivered, I got Tim Lincecum vibes. It was very strange.
1: Yeah, so Lincecum was interesting. I was thinking like a taller Lincecum. The Ubaldo thing, he doesn't quite like show the ball behind his back like Ubaldo used to, which was just like super weird. Yeah. Like, Ubaldo used to, I don't even know how his arm went that way back there, so. But yeah, the Lincecum explosion thing, very, I definitely see that.
0: Yeah, very I similar. I mean, it was not it was it's just like a split second that I get Ubaldo. It's just like a, a little arm angle thing he does right before he's, like, making the stride towards the plate. I'm like, that looked like Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like literally a, a split second of a thing. I'm like, oh, okay, he goes from Ubaldo to Lincecum, Okay. <laughs> We're hoping it ends up a little bit more like Lincecum, it's... yeah, th- that's that would be the the hope there. Um, that he ends up more like Tim Lincecum than Ubaldo Jimenez, especially in his later years in Baltimore, in his last year in Colorado. Um, <clears throat> what are your expectations for this team over the rest of the season?
1: I think even without an addition, the offense just gets better. Um, I think just a lot of guys are performing unsustainably poorly. I think we've already seen Leplo and Naquin sort of break out of it. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think them being competent just gets you to, like, six hitters, right? So you get, you know, six offensive guys instead of, you know, it's Hernandez, Ramirez, Lindor, Santana, Reyes. If you can add a sixth and a seventh competent, like, League average offense, like then you're really clicking. So I think they alone kind of stabilize, but it's really all up to like, you know, if, if catcher, if Perez doesn't sort of start hitting and look, like it was a it was a shoulder strain, correct? Was it a shoulder or it was a shoulder? It
0: was a shoulder injury. Like,
1: look, are we are we confident his power is going to be back while he's recovering from a shoulder strain in a compressed season? I'm not super confident in that, so I'm not particularly optimistic catcher is going to be super productive. So is center field? Probably not. So those two positions I don't think get better, but I think like left and right field production just get better just based on the, you know, increasing sample size.
0: And uh, pitching wise, uh, any uh, things you're looking forward to, positive, negative,
1: I love watching all these dudes pitch. Like they're all so distinctive. The only one I don't like watching pitch and has always been this way, even though he's really good, is Mike Clevenger. I I just don't enjoy watching him pitch. I don't like his motion. I don't like his release point. Um, I don't like how he oscillates on the mound and never gets called for a balk. I think what he does is super annoying. Um, but other than that, he's uh, he's a really good pitcher. I just don't like watching him. But I guess I'm interested in. So I'm still, con- you know, I I'm still excited to see Tristan starts. Mm-hmm. Bieber, you get to watch the best pitcher in baseball. You know, it's like Savali and Plezak. You know, Savali, Plezak, and Tristan, to me, just watching young guys develop and seeing what they actually have in the tool shed is really fun, right? Like, mm-hmm. Plezak pitched really well for three starts, but last year he was he was pretty average. And, like, there's real questions about whether he was just, like, on fire for three starts or whether he's made a real leap. So, like, seeing that more, seeing Savali and whether this he's really this good sustainably is exciting, and then McKenzie, so I just can't wait to watch these guys on the mound, and hopefully I'd have to watch Clevenger in another uniform with a center fielder who's productive in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh,
0: Plesak faced the White Sox twice and the Reds once this year. Uh, Depending on what day of the week it is, depends on whether or not the White Sox offense is any good, and I guess the same can go for the Reds. Um, And I think
1: when when please like face the the white Sox and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like a couple of, a couple of dudes were hurt um, at that point in the year, maybe Tim Anderson, but right. the lineups were a little thin. And I'm not, you know, I think please, I looked awesome. He was commanding. He finally had a third pitch he could rely on, you know, but it's all about, you know, how sustainable is that? Or is he just a guy who was really good for three starts this year and pretty average last year.
0: Yeah. Uh, no Tim Anderson in that lineup, Danny Mendick and, uh, Lurie Garcia, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know, Murderer's Row, right there. Uh, <clears throat> you know who I cannot get enough of, and uh, on the pitching staff is James track Yeah. Absolutely electric, every single time. It, he's got a little bit of crazy in him too.
1: <laughs> no, he's a he's a sociopath. <laughs> he's got that like. I think there are these guys where like they're like one in. I don't know. They're very rare. There are like two or three guys in baseball maybe every year or two years that like when they come on the mound, it feels like you're toast. And Mariano was that guy for Mm -hmm. like 20 years. But like we had two years of it with Andrew Miller where like when he came into the game, like even in the playoffs, it was Mm -hmm. over. It felt over. And even like Cody Allen had an impeccable Cleveland career and I never felt that way. I was always stressed. Because, like, there's inherent tension late in leverage games. And Karencheck is really approaching that point with me where he comes in the game and I'm like, okay, not worried. They're not scoring this inning. Let's move along. And yep. that's not a categorical certainty, but that's a feeling that's created by elite relievers that's really rare.
0: Yeah, it took me about two appearances from Karencheck, but no one's touching this dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's fire. Just, yeah, two appearances from him, uh tons of love from pitching ninja on Twitter. I'm just like that's my guy right there. Uh <laughs> Uh I'll, we'll finish up with Shane Bieber then uh I'll let you get on your way. Uh Shane Bieber Cy Young is his to lose at this point, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think I think he has to get hurt or he has to get lit up like two times.
0: Now, make a case for him to win the MVP. I think, you know what?
1: In a season this short, if he makes 12 starts Mm -hmm. over 60 games, I think it makes a lot more sense in a 60-game season than a 162-game season from Mm -hmm. a proportion perspective. Like, if he goes out and puts up, like, a one ERA over, you know, a 150, even just a two ERA over 12 starts and he'll go, like, 9-1 and one or 10-1. and one. Like, I think that's a really strong case. And I don't value wins that much, but I think from a proportional impact perspective, an ace plays up this year in ways that they didn't. Um, because they might miss a start here, miss a start there. But if he pitches all 12, like, he's going to have swung 20% plus of games. And that's huge.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely... Definitely a huge impact. Um, uh, <laughs> Shane Bieber could definitely win the uh, MVP. Uh, like you said, wins are not necessarily the uh, the best statistic. But sixty game season, I think this might be the only time where you could say pitching wins matter. Um, but. Just every time I see Bieber pitch, it's just like there's a new set of strikeout thing that he did that hasn't been done in forever that just gets posted. First time that this has happened since 1963 or 1947. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay. Uh, that, that That's that's really, really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's off to, like, just such an unmatched start in terms of, what is he, 25 now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's off to a sort of a esque start to his career, so we'll see how it goes after this.
0: Yeah, he, he's look. He's looking really good in, let's see, 46.2 innings. He has 75 strikeouts, um, 1.35 ERA, uh, 0.814 whip. Uh,
1: it's insanity. Uh, four, Absolute
0: insanity. 14.5 strikeouts per nine. That number's just absolutely insane. Uh, you, it is that that's a it's reliever nuts. number that you're seeing from a starter it's an elite reliever
1: number too it's it's dumb
0: it's it, dumb it is i mean what what's karen jacks right now it's got to be somewhere in that neighborhood he's got to be like he's got to be over he's six, at 16?
1: 16 16.7 that's insane
0: that that's like video game on easy that's what that is um you just bring in the best reliever playing the computer against rookie mode and throwing something at the plate that just gets anywhere near the strike zone. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think Bieber can definitely carry this uh, rotation. I think he can definitely... I think the Cy Young is his to lose. If he keeps it up, I think the MVP is in his grasp.
1: Absolutely. And I think it'll be make for really fun discussions once we get to, you know, ten, fifteen games left to play of you know that that discussion gets even more fun.
0: Yeah, because there's not really like any batters in either league that are just doing something absolutely amazing, really. It's
1: Yeah, other than Tatis. I mean Tatis. Uh, no, yeah, Tatis, is, Tatis is, yeah. He's he's going nuts, but I agree with you. I like in the AL it's just you know, there's a lot of guys having really good years, but there's nobody putting up Trout. You know, Trout missed like five or six games, so mm-hmm. like AL
0: MVP is suddenly in play to someone. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the first time in a, in a while you like, Oh, look, Trout's not the favorite for the AL MVP. <laughs> five or six games. That's a that's a twelfth of the season he missed. I mean, he missed it for a good reason though. Um, <clears throat> but, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Definitely be an interesting MVP race as we go on. Um, I think Cleveland is positioned okay to make a playoff run. I do want to see them make some sort of move to improve that outfield. And I know you feel the same. Yeah,
1: I hope. I'd like to watch a little more run scoring before this is all over.
0: Yeah. Let me... I'll, let me ask you one more question, then I'll, then I'll let you get on your way. Is there, like, a certain player that people keep clamoring for in, in a trade that you have no desire to be on this team?
1: I think we talked about him already. I am, like, very apathetic about <laughs> Miguel Andujar. Like, I Like, look, I'm sure he's competent. I think he's probably a league average player, but, like, dude bores the dickens out of me.
0: Okay, uh, because I, I feel similar uh, about people trying to make JD Martinez a thing. Um, JD Martinez, more established hitter, but the dude's old, not producing this year, and expensive.
1: I agree. I mean, I just, I mean, I think he's interesting in that. Oh, he's a fun bat, but he can't play an outfield position, and he's really costly. And working that money out just seems impossible for this team.
0: Yeah, the the only way Cleveland could get him in Boston taking on that salary is you sent something substantial over, and I'm not one to send something substantial over for J.D. Martinez, uh, DH.
1: Absolutely. Hard agree. Thanks so much for having me on. I don't want to you keep you too busy but i really appreciate it i I always enjoy coming on and talking baseball and and hopefully we have a fun playoff series to talk about it in, uh, in a couple months